Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast edition here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd is here as well as Aaron. Now, Aaron is uh, playing situationally today. He's uh, hanging with a bug. Uh, so most of his energy will be devoted to making sure we can actually uh, be heard. And today on CRTV, seen. So you may not be hearing as much from Aaron unless you think Aaron coughing um, uh, rudely and loudly into the mic is an upgrade over my table tapping that I know so many of you love so much because I keep getting emailed about it. Right? We'll find out today. Uh, we might. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to try and spare what remaining energy poor Aaron has left uh, so that uh, he can pour his energy into keeping us on the air. But Todd, it's good to see you. Hello. We just concluded our festivities for CRTV today. Uh, interesting conversation with Daniel Horowitz, as they always are. You want to give the audience a little preview of what that constitu- of what that conversation is going to look like today? Well, we kind of analyzed, you know, what exactly is it that we should be giving the Republicans credit for here? I took up the notion. We uh, Daniel used the term fighting, uh, and uh, to quote the great prophet Inigo Montoya, hmm. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Uh, I, I just, they're doing some things and, and some things that are good. Um, but I think they're going to get, if they get Kavanaugh through, they're going to get way too much credit for suddenly having a backbone and a pair and they don't deserve it. I got a call from a reporter at Politico yesterday and I told him in this interview that the only time there has been unified buzz around Kavanaugh's nomination has been the last 72 hours thanks to the Democratic Party. I'm, and I was, he was asking me about, you know, uh, what the Republican base thinks. And I said, within the conservative base, the only time there has been unified buzz around Brett Kavanaugh's nomination has been the last 72 hours, courtesy of the Democrats. You agree or disagree with that? No, this is, and I, t- I talk all the time about how the Republicans ultimately ace in the hole, their best friend, their, their bailout is always the Democrats, which is why they Which can, you said yesterday is, has yes. come to fruition this week yes. where, you know, I always point out, and we talked about this today on CRTV, the, the two constants in American politics, even more than death and taxes. You can always count on the Republicans to do everything they can to preemptively surrender on every fight. And then you can count the Democrats to completely overreach in response to that, thus creating their own backlash. And that's what's transpired here. Yeah, that's gospel. 72 hours ago, it looked like Brett Kavanaugh was dead man dead man walking. Now I'd be stunned if he is not uh, confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court by this time next week. And that could, you know, now if, if there's a second allegation or she decides she is going to testify and she is powerful on the stand, that can change. But if she's not going to testify... This whole thing is now blowing up in the Democrats' face, and it's unifying the Republican base behind the candidacy of a judge that they were not particularly unified or excited about just a week ago. So that's right in line of what we often talk about here on this show, and we've watched it, we've watched it play itself out. 
The Democrats have, and their huge overreach, like with the immigration issue, when they said to the Republicans were, I mean, Trump and the GOP Congress was trying to give them twice the amnesty that they asked for. Twice what they asked for. And then the the Democrats said, well, you're just going to amnesty everybody or we're shutting the government down. And the Republicans said, you know, if, if we amnesty everybody, our base will shut us down. We can't do that. So you've put us in a position where you backed us so into a corner you have given us. N- we would prefer not to fight, but you're giving you're telling us we have to slit our own throats mm-hmm. and commit Hare Krishna here. We can't do that either. And it's reminiscent to the mistake Newt Gingrich and Bob Dole made with Bill Clinton in 1995. That famous scene when they went on the and they had the leverage over Bubba coming out of the 94 elections and they went on Air Force One to drive a hard bargain on the budget. And, and the story, the urban legend is that Bubba said to them, if you don't give me something to take back to my base, I'm going to get challenged by the, the left, by Jesse Jackson, and I'm going to lose. Because presidents always lose when they're challenged in a primary. And I need something. I can't just give you everything. I understand you have all the leverage. I'm not popular right now. I got to mend my image. I'll give you everything you want if you give me at least one thing in return. I can take back some shiny object. I can take back to my base. And, and Gingrich and Dole walked off the plane and said no. And they forced a very weak president into a position where he either had to shut the government down or his own political survival was null and void. And they shut the government down. And with the help of the press, they blamed that entire thing on the Republicans. And that's one of the major reasons Bill Clinton got reelected in 1996 was that entire yep. was that entire scene, if you'll recall. And more evidence of overreach in this particular case with Kavanaugh. I'm pretty sure I saw Matt Walsh commenting on it today that Huffington Post, of all places, yeah, did you see that poll? I did, yeah. And there fewer women believe Ford's story than men, which goes to what I've been talking about all along. We, we can all kind of guess, if you had to lay odds, if something actually did happen between Kavanaugh and her, and if it's not just a total uh, made-up story. The gals in this situation are kind of like, I wonder about that. You know, my wife has often told me when she was growing up, she preferred hanging around guys than women because the girls were just beyond ruthless to each other. I see this a little bit with my daughters now that they're hitting their teenage years and, you know, one's 17 and one's 13. Uh, I mean, the stuff in, you know, texting and, and social media provides no filter at all. But the stuff that girls will say to each other, dude, we won't talk to each other like this unless you are prepared to throw down. Because that's just, we don't do the whole mean girls thing. I mean, we will bully each other, right, physically. But if, I mean, if you're going to physically, if you're going to verbally degrade me, if, if, if we're on any sort of equal footing at all, unless you're clearly physically superior to me, you better be prepared to physically back that up, right? Right. And I see this in the difference between my son and his friends and my daughter and their friends. And so I wonder if women are just tougher on other women. That might be a conversation worthy of having in the future. I mean, I remember during the, when the whole Roy Moore thing was at its apex, and I talked to one of the biggest names in all of the Christian conservative movement that most of our audience would know. I talked to him privately on the phone, and when he watched Gloria Allred bring the worst of his accusers forward, he he told me I sunk in my chair and I thought, man, this guy's a fraud. We've all been fooled. And then all the women in his office that worked in the office, they all watched it in their offices on TV together, and, and he was demoralized. And when he asked all the women in the office what they thought of the accuser, every last one of them unanimously in his office said, she's lying through her teeth. So I don't, I don't know, because I, I see it at my house too, where 
when you know when we st- we start talking about what goes on in the lives of our f- couple friends and things of that nature, I tend to be harder on the guys and take the side of the woman. My wife tends to be harder on the women and take the side of the guy. I don't know if you guys see that in your house when when these topics come up. So I don't know what it means that women don't believe Professor Ford. I don't know if women are tougher on other women in general or not. I don't know. Well, at, at the very least, I think what it says is in, when Aaron's uh, montage about Hollywood unite and they just start parroting out this script that, that you know, it's not every woman in America now is just rallying around the Me Too movement. Uh, some of them actually think it's a, a cancer that they do not want to be beholden to. Well, and it can be if they allow it to become one. I mean, if you allow yourself to get politicized and it may already be too late for that. You know, we sat here and cheered on, hey, Harvey Weinstein, right on down. These guys are creeps, pervs, fiends, expose them all, string them up. I think rape ought to be a capital offense in America anyway. Oh, yeah. You know, but it can't, there's, there's, there's a reckoning and then there's an inquisition, right? There, there's an awareness and then there's the Salem witch trials. And you, if, if it, once it becomes politicized... And it maybe it's already too late for that. I don't know. And but once it once we all recognize it's become politicized, then the salt has lost its flavor. It's of no use to anybody mm-hmm. except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot because then it'll just be I accuse you of something and you are not part of this political constituency, therefore you are automatically guilty. Yeah. I got you. Well, if you want to watch today's show on CRTV, CRTV.com, promo code DACE. If you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, that's how you can watch not just our show, but every single show on CRTV. And if you use my name as a promo code at CRTV.com, you'll get a discounted subscription that'll cost you just a quarter a day. That's a pretty good deal for me. I mean, I don't know that I'm worth a quarter a day, but I got to believe Mark Levin is. He's got to be worth a quarter a day. So if you want to do it for me, do it for him. Do it for the great one. CRTV.com, promo code Dace. All right, let's get to today's Theology Thursday podcast. And we've been doing this Bible study through the book of Colossians. For those of you that are new, a couple of ground rules here. Um, We're not using any Bible notes. We're not using any Bible commentaries. We're just sitting around and discussing what the text actually says. Not what it means to us, because nobody cares and nobody should. But what it actually says. And are there you know, beyond the the spiritual implications that apply to every human being made in God's image, are there some contemporary cultural applications for the times in which we live today? If you have questions or criticisms, because I, I've got to believe we're not going to interpret this all right, we're not the Holy Spirit, we're going to probably make a mistake or two at some point, so if you have any questions or criticisms, we're going to save that for when we get through the book of Colossians at the very end, we'll do a podcast or two, depending on how much of that there is to, to filter through to address all of those. And beyond that, we're just taking this verse by verse with as much time as we have in each podcast each week until we finish the book. We're in chapter two. And these are the words of Paul talking beginning in verse six. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. So the assumption here is he's talking to other Christians. As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. I had breakfast with um, uh, our new pastor this morning. And our old pastor and I are still really good friends. We just had lunch last week. 
But some of you know, we switched churches about a year ago just because we needed a church that had more uh, of a peer group for our kids. There weren't really a lot of kids their age, and they're at the age now where they need more of a peer group. You know, your 13 and 11-year-old son and daughter don't have as much in common with each other as they did when they were six and four and they could play together. They kind of, they're their own people now and they need their own peer groups. So we switched churches to one that had more options for them uh, to, socially within, uh, you know, obviously within the confines of our faith. And one of the conversations he and I were having today uh, at our breakfast is how legalism can be a sneaky thing. Like, I think we all recognize, if you've seen the great movie Joshua, I've talked about that before, and F. Murray Abraham's furrowed-browed priest, right? You, you sense, you, when legalism comes at you in the packaging of the furrowed brow, of the hoity-toity, of the high-minded, of the, of the lint in the navel gazers and ponders. Yes, but what about, but what about this philosophical proposition that I am convinced of even though the Bible doesn't directly, the word of God doesn't directly address it in any way, shape, or form. Or when it does, it may totally contradict it, but I'm still convinced of it nonetheless. We recognize it in that form. But you know, there's a reason why Jesus said to beware of wolves in sheep's clothing. We're never warned of wolves. Why do you think we don't have to be warned about a wolf? What, what do you instinctively know? Your fight or flight mechanism kicks in when you see a wolf, right? Right. Yeah. Similarly, you're not told when you're hungry, eat. That commandment doesn't exist in the Bible. When you're thirsty, drink. That commandment's not there. What? We don't have to be commanded to do the things that we want or will do right. instinctively. A wife has to be commanded to love her husband uh, or to respect her husband. And a wife and a husband has to be commanded to love his wife as Christ loved the church because instinctively we don't want to do those things. Instinctively, we men, we want to love our wives the way that we'll get out of it what we want on our terms, not the sacrificial all or all or nothing way that Christ loved the church. We don't instinctively want to do that. And women want to instinctively respect their husbands when in their minds they're worthy of being respected, not as an automatic default setting. That's not the way we are wired. We are, we are commanded in the scriptures to do the things that go against our base natures. Our instinctive natures, we don't have to be told what to do when it lines up with our instincts and wants. And sometimes legalism comes at you with a smile. And I I said to our new pastor this morning, his name is Quentin. And I said, you know, our original church, after a while, we realized we were being taught legalism. Meaning it was there was a there was a an application or a moral tradition passed on, but there was no founda- no biblical foundation to it. And let me tell you what I mean by that. The idea that you're a good Christian by being a good husband, by being a good father. There's plenty of pagans that are good husbands and good fathers. They're made in the image of God too. They have the general revelation of right and wrong in their hearts. They know. Uh, by being a good steward of your resources, by being kind, by being generous. That's not what makes me a good Christian. First of all, I don't know what, do you know what a good Christian is? Do you know? 
because Jesus says no, no one, one is, is good, good but yeah. God, yeah. first and foremost. So this whole thing is a fallacy on its face, but let's play with it for a minute. So we have a lot of, there's a lot of shiny, happy people here. We got nice cars in the lot and a nice big building and Bush Cheney bumper stickers right next to the Jesus fish and everybody looks dressed in the nines and everybody's kids. It, this, but this is, this is like Lake Wobegon with Bible verses. Everybody looks nice and every kid behaves. But nobody has any deep, dark secrets. Nobody has any real problems. And then it's scandalous. <gasps> there's somebody's getting a divorce. See, that's an inverted paradigm. I behave this way because of what I believe. The way I behave doesn't determine my beliefs. It's the other way around. My behavior is an outpouring of my belief system. And if we invert it, that's why I think the order of what Paul says here reminded me of this conversation this morning. He says, because you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. That's first. He doesn't say, hey, go out there and behave and live a life that you think God would, that would please God. And then once you do that long enough, you can receive Christ and be saved of your sins. That's not what he said. What he said is, because you've been set free of your sins in Christ, go live in the way of true freedom as God originally created you to be because his power is at work actively now. Not, not indirectly, not corporately, but intimately and actively at work right now individually in your life because you are in a relationship with him. See, I think this is something, and some of this is a stereotype, Todd, that the world wants to have of us. Let's not forget Romans 1. We suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. The world doesn't want to know what the truth is. It, that, that it wants to suppress it. It doesn't, want to, it doesn't want to come to faith. It doesn't want to admit it's a sinner, right? So let's not let the world completely off the hook here. But whatever the percentage, you know, my wife will tell you from her experience in counseling, it's always both sides' fault every time. Now, it might be 99 and 1, Okay. You know, we're not talking about no fault insurance here, okay? It, but something, there's some part of this you always have to take responsibility for. And I'm not saying that it's our fault that, the, that it appears our culture is falling further and further and further away from God. It's doing that because it, its heart is hardened and it wants to. And even if all people claiming to be Christians, if every last one of them were hypocrites, and in some respects, kind of, aren't we all anyway? Aren't we, we're not perfect. But I mean, we were emboldened hypocrisies. Wouldn't change the fact of whether Jesus walked out of that tomb or not. Doesn't change. Your behavior doesn't change whether Jesus walked out of that tomb. Neither does mine. And nobody's listening behavior. Any hypocrisy revealed of anybody on either side of this listening arrangement right here on Westwood One, and all of them combined, doesn't change the fact of whether Jesus walked 
out of that tomb alive after being dead. That's what Christianity is based on, not you and I's character. However, our lack of character can aid and abet people who may be on the fence, a culture that may be mulling this over. They may decide, you know, I'm open to this, but looking at the way you behave, I'm not sure you're open to it, so I'm going to pass. And I think we got to make sure we understand that the world believes it has to behave a certain way. And this is why in the church, I think we have to reject tribalism. Um, homogenous conformity. Because if we send, if we send the, we don't want to send the world the message. You have to think, look in everything like us up front in order to be one of us. None of us died on a cross. Any of the changes that went on in my life that are positive are acts of the Holy Spirit. And the fact that you can tune into this show or meet me in person and at times I will disappoint you with my behavior is evidence of the fact there is a part of me that is resisting this change. At Romans 7, the good I want to do, I don't. The evil I don't want to do, I do. What a wretch am I who will save me from this. This tug of war goes on until the day we're called home, guys. And I think this is especially a challenge for those of us as Christians that are politically active. To avoid sending the message to the culture that our moral behaviors are what define us. No. It's our love of Christ and our neighbor that defines us. And when those things are right, the moral behavior will change. Or we'll line up with it. Your thoughts on that, Todd? Well, C.S. Lewis uh, talked about uh, uh, faith in terms of... um, uh, th- this kind of relationship of faith and works that we're talking about as uh, a mirror. Uh, our life is supposed to reflect Christ, not ourselves. And so uh, the cleaner we keep our mirror, uh, the more obvious uh, that reflection is. The cloudier we keep our mirror Mm -hmm. in terms of just raw sin or in terms of uh the um the worldview issues that we talked about at the beginning of the year uh you've legalism any of those uh you 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 get a is some version of a circus uh, a, a mirror uh, of who Christ is, yep. con- contorted, bent yep. out of shape, uh, and and so uh, ultimately, our duty, uh, our 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 moral duty, is it's clearly ultimately about 
serving Christ. There, it, it, it's not about. Uh, it's certainly not about a a a checklist or a point system, um, because the, the 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 as you say, Steve, the rain falls on the just and the un uh, uh, just al- al- alike, and the status of the person uh, who has uh, sinned for decade upon decade upon decade the parables tell us is anointed with uh perhaps even more uh rejoicing uh uh, i.e the prodigal son than those of us who are cradle christians Mm -hmm. uh daniel horowitz talked today about i've you know he, he he's not a Christian, but he talked about you know I lived a pretty boring life. I mean, there's just uh, I, 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 there's not a lot of gotcha you can come after me on. It's it's really important, and you know at the end of the day we could have great specific talks on the relationship of faith and works. Uh, we've already brought that up multiple times since we're doing Colossians, but here it is. It's it's ultimately about when you are doing good. Uh, if you are, if you're trying to do good, it it must have at its core. He must increase, and yes. I must decrease. Yeah, there's an important distinction here. I mean, I, you were, you kind of hovered around it and touched on it. We had to remember too. You know, we we talk about the fact Christ died for people, and not for a philosophy. People aren't formulas. They're not constructs. They're people. And people are complicated. Well, relationships aren't formulas and constructs either. They're complicated. They're not cut and dried. Not your relationship with your creator isn't any more cut and dried than your relationship with your spouse, your parents, etc. Because we're not all the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we're not all the same. And, and by the way, that's good because we're supposed to not be the same once we begin that earnest, intimate relationship with our creator, once it's restored, right? That's supposed to make us never the same ever again and from that time forward. I'm not saying there's two different things happening here. I, I want to make sure I'm, we're very clear about this. The Ten Commandments are in the order they're in for a reason. There's a reason the first commandment is not steal as opposed to uh, the first commandment is actually, I am the only God. And there's a reason the second commandment is don't commit adult isn't don't commit adultery as opposed to don't fashion or make something else of this world your God. There's a hierarchy of values at play. No one's going to get into heaven because they can make the case I never stole anything my entire life. If you if you obeyed the, the you know the two or those three other commandments, but totally rejected the ones that had the pri- the, the the primacy importance, then you did it wrong. You got it wrong. You you, you made a Cain like offering to God. You offered God what you were willing to give Him, as opposed to what He asked of you. And those are two totally different things. You said, God, I'm willing to give you this moral decision, but not that one. And he doesn't leave you that option. Because God doesn't want your moral decisions. He wants you. He wants you. Similar to a man who thinks, if I bypass spending time with my family, but I work all these hours and I provide all these things. does, Does your family need you to be a provider financially? Do they need that of you? Yes. Yeah. But do they need that at the expense of what they need from you the most? No. 
Does God need you to be faithful to your spouse? Yeah. Does he need you to not be a thief? Yeah. But not at the expense of what he wants and needs from you the most. You and I as human beings are not permitted to invert that paradigm. We're God, he's God. We're not. He tells us what's of primary importance. And likewise, as the father, you may be the head of the home, but you are to lead sacrificially. And when those you're sacrificing for come to you and say, we, this is not what we need. This, this is not the sacrifice we need from you. We need you, more of your time, support, counsel, less of your breadwinner. You, a good father does not triple down on the bread. Well, I'll just pick up another job and work more hours. That's not the way it works. And it doesn't work that way with God either. But as a believer, see, this is where a lot of believers, because our big fear in our day and age of moral relativism is hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. In a day and age where no one, where there's no transcendent moral high ground and we just sit around and give absolution to one another more, more, more relativistically and subjectively, since there's no transcendent standard we obey anymore, the standard we don't want to disavow is the one we receive from one another. And so that's why being a hypocrite is like the worst thing like ever right now in our culture because we're moral relativists. And one of the things I see a lot from believers is... Unless I really feel like I want to do this for God, I shouldn't do it because then if I, if I do it against the way I'm feeling, I'm a hypocrite. Have you ever heard this before? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a false flag. That's a false front. That's the enemy talking. Let me give you an analogy. I went to the gym yesterday morning, part of my Wednesday routine. I did not feel like going to the gym. I didn't feel like it most of the time I was there. Or the morning before that. There's plenty of times I go, what do you think I would weigh if I only went when I felt like it? More. More. And the times I didn't feel like it, all those times I went, I still put in the work, believing because of the results I've seen. And the evidence of, that I can't see of the positive changes that are going on inside my body, but I can't see inside my own body. So because of the evidence seen and unseen, I've still gone all this time. Even when I didn't feel like it. Because I put my faith in the process of my health. Rather than just acting on how I felt all the time. Similarly, it's far less likely you're going to fall into that sin pattern on a mission trip to Haiti than you are sitting in your basement at one o'clock in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Because in one case, you know specifically, whether you feel like being there or not, you understand specifically, I am here for a higher cause and to serve interests other than my own. And in the other situation, you're only... You believe, you, you believe the fallacy that you're, you're there to serve your own interest and therefore your own interests say, this is what we want, this desire, A, B, C, D, E, this box check. Unbelievers cannot please God by just behaving better. That's not what he wants from you. He wants a relationship. And he wants to give you the power 
for you to no longer carry that burden of what do I do to please God and I can't ever please God. He wants to give you the power to no longer carry that burden anymore and he wants to carry it for you. Come to me, all who are weary and, and, and heavy laden, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He wants you to give up your burdens to him. He'll carry them on your behalf rather than you carrying the burden of how do I please him. If you want a God that wants you to carry the burden of how to please him, try Islam. That's their God. That's not Christianity. But for the believer, I would encourage you, it's like, it's like faith muscle memory. When I first started going to the gym when I didn't feel like it, I really had to fight my body and fight myself. But the more I've done it, month after month after month, year after year after year, once I get going, emotion, the emotions are still there. I'm still like looking at my watch. When is this 35-minute circuit up? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But the muscle memory will kick in because I built that muscle up strong enough that the muscle memory will kick in and say, dude, man, all right, we're doing this. I don't care. Feelings are over here. It's like that. It's like what was that movie with the emotions, uh, the Pixar movie a few years ago? Oh, yeah. My, um, you know what I'm thinking of? Oh, yeah. Uh, my kids love it, too. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but the, the um, inside the, out. Yeah, inside out. Thank you. We took the emotion uh, avatar. That's over there now because the body chemistry is kicking in and saying, all right, this is how we react. We burn calories. We sweat. We move. And it's funny. The, uh, now that I've done this long enough and I've worked that muscle memory so much, all these days I go in when I don't feel like going in, it's weird. I walk out of there just as sweaty and tired as I do the days I felt like going in that I need a good workout because the muscle memory takes over. I've built up enough of that. Your faith is the same way. I would encourage believers to abs- to go out of your way to study God's word, to pray, to do ministerial service especially when you don't feel like it because your emotions you're in Roman seven mode your sin your sinful emotions are going to fight back against this your emotions want this to be all about you that's the way your sinful self is wired to contradict that order to counterman that order to go to the spiritual gym and put the put the work in when you don't feel like it Just as it grows your muscle memory physically, it will grow your faith as a muscle spiritually. Don't buy into the notion, that's the enemy talking, well, I don't feel like it, I really shouldn't tithe. Or I don't feel like it, I really shouldn't volunteer. That doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean you have to tithe more than everybody else or or serve more than everybody else. A few weeks ago, my kids, they were asking for volunteers at something we were involved in. Uh, and the kids asked me, well, how come we didn't volunteer? And I said, you know what I told them? Because we already serve in this area, that area, and that area. It's someone else can do it now. We're doing our part. You know, that's not, I know people who like feel as if they have to volunteer everything at church. That's not, no. You're not that special. You're not that needed. Slow your roll. But absolutely, if you don't feel like doing something that would benefit your faith, or show your love of God to somebody else, you're not a hypocrite for doing it. You do it against your faith. That's called faith. I'm going against my own instincts. I'm going against what my feelings are. I'm going against what, my, what I desire, what I want. And I'm going to serve something other than those things. That's how our faith grows. So we need to understand that distinction. There's a distinction between thinking, I can do good things for God to please him. No, you can't. 
on a fundamental level. But then there's the distinction of, you know what? I can grow my faith by doing serving God when my body and my my mind and my emotions want me to serve myself. Those are two different things. Make sure we understand that distinction. For you, if you're not a believer listening to us, I would urge you to give up the quest of how many good deeds can I rack up for God to be pleased. You can't do that. And Jesus wants to rid you of that burden and have you rely on him and his righteousness instead. If you're already a believer, though, absolutely, by all means, as long as you don't turn this into an idol too, right? Where you're, you're you know, well, you know, I can't be there for my husband. I can't be there for my wife. I can't be there for my kids because I'm doing my 75th faith activity. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. But you know, if you're like, you know, why is it? I'm just throwing out an example. Every Saturday morning, our family, we fight. And why do we do this every Saturday morning? It was always over who's going to cook breakfast or this or that. You know, you're probably less likely to fight if you get up on Saturday morning and the church has a has a, a refugee fair. I don't know, whatever the heck they're doing. And you guys get up on a Saturday morning and you decide, you know what? We're going to go down and do this act of service in faith and serve a cause and interest greater than ourselves. See how the entire mental wiring changes. So you're not a hypocrite for doing what God called you to do when you don't feel like it. That's called faith. Final thoughts, Todd. Well, um, I'm glad you uh, took the ball and ran with it to such an extent uh, um, based on uh, the little bit uh, that I had to say there. Uh, uh, and, uh, the Lord is so clearly in love uh, with broken creatures. We're all broken. So it, it's it's just, if, if we set down our idols and just realize uh, the obvious truth that the one whose first day as a Christian is is still filled with as many failures as successes, um, the increase not only still goes to God, but it it perhaps goes to God all the more. There, there is such a richness and pureness of spirit there. I, I your brokenness in that point, you're still you're still addicted to whatever you're addicted to. You know, whatever drugs, uh, porn, sloth. I mean, any number of things. But in the, in that moment, I just read something today about an 85 year old uh, former atheist in England who was involved in la- the Labour Party, uh, and and he just got baptized at the age of 85. Uh, there, he th- that guy's clearly racked up a level of sin that I hope the person who's been a a genuine Christian their entire life it's not even close yet my goodness the rejoicing in heaven uh for that man uh we we need to come correct on our relationship on faith and works uh not because of uh uh, so we can kind of uh philosophically uh have less fighting 
but so spiritually we can grow in greater and greater depth. The whole point of this thing is overcoming uh, a, a brokenness through a love greater than our own understanding. It's something we must submit to, and the only thing way we can understand what true submission is is when we this this isn't ultimately about us. This is about the Him, the capitalized H, Him who loves us in spite of ourselves. I'm glad you brought up sin addiction. I want to close with this. If you have a sin addiction that can be treated by counseling and things of that nature, um, I would urge you to seek that out, obviously. You, if you have a sin addiction, that doesn't, that doesn't hold you back from serving in God's kingdom. It holds you back from a position of leadership in God's kingdom, obviously. There's a higher standard. Don't run for elder if you have some deep secret sin nobody knows about except for you and whoever you're sinning it with, okay? But if you have a secret, if you have that, if you have that, 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 that sin addiction that has a grip on you and there are areas in your life where you can see yourself spiritually growing, but there's this one swamp you keep reverting back to, then, then I would actually encourage you to look for ways to serve the kingdom of God. Because you know when your mind's not going to be focused on going back to that swamp? When you're serving something other than your own time and flesh. And you're serving something other than yourself. And then over the course of time, you start realizing, you know, I thought this thing, this one sin was so great. It's really, there's really, it's not as, the power of it isn't really what I thought. When I revert to old sin patterns, the same pattern is always the same. It always happens when I put more time into myself and what I want as opposed to what others need and want of me or what God is calling me to do. Never fails, man. Never fails. Never. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Nope. Aaron, I won't ask you for a final thought unless you have one, given your condition, or you can just give me a thumbs up. I appreciate this conversation and um, we don't want to open up a huge can of worms here, but uh, James, uh, the, the entire book of James, you can read it in a half an hour, uh, if that. Um, great, um, great, I want to say resource. It's, it, it is all about faith and works. And of course, there's a debate there, um, but it is a, it's a very quick um, read that will challenge you um, to put your money where your mouth is, um, as it were, or put your works where your mouth is. <laughs> oh, you didn't see the look on Todd's face over here. What? Oh. Yeah. They're, 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 what's your cologne? Smoke. Smoke, yeah. Well, there, well, that was there, by there, accident. Yeah, I was just, oh, okay. There, were, there was a certain, was yeah, scur- yeah, there yeah, was, yeah, there was. I was certain- actually looking to use it. Was there a can of worms there? I didn't, I didn't sense <laughs> no, a can I'm of just, worms. I'm just teasing you. Everybody, see you tomorrow, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace. I like it, you.